this week. And as we look to the scripture today, we've been talking about being a part of the body of Christ. And in that conversation um, last week after the time together, I did have a few folks say, Chris, I, we weren't sure about what you said about this. And, and so I want to kind of start this week by kind of helping dig a little deeper. As last week we looked at um, how God guides the church, this week we want to look at how the Holy Spirit helps us find our place in the body, how the Holy Spirit helps us find our place in the body. And this week, and probably for the week or two ahead, we're going to be at the heart of 1 Corinthians, which Paul talks a tremendous amount about this. And so today we're going to be in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, chapter 12, we'll start with, and then uh, we'll also look a little bit at chapter 11 as well. And so here is what Paul shares with us today. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. So therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, come, um, help me lift you up, guide my words, guide my heart, help us together um, encounter you in ways that help us know that we're on your path and that we're a part of your family. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I kind of want to start with a question that I think least some people wrestle with in some point in their lives and that is the question how do I become a Christian how do I follow Jesus how do I experience salvation how do I do that we talked a little bit about this last week and how at the Jerusalem council they wrestled with this because so oftentimes I can see us in this trying to do all we can to get it right well let's see i i gotta go to church maybe uh that would be a good start and and then uh, yeah i gotta find a bible and try to read it but where do i start do i start at genesis do i start somewhere in the middle what do i do and and then how do i pray i'm not quite sure how to pray god but but i guess i better learn how to pray if i want to be this christian kind of thing and and then uh, I need to have the perfect family, you know. I, I got to have perfect kids, and I got to be the perfect mom and dad and the perfect spouse. And if I don't show everybody that I'm perfect, well, then I'm in a whole heap of trouble. And, and then, of course, I got to walk old ladies across the street and make sure I do some good deeds. And, uh, and gosh, what else? What else? I, I need to give some money. What else do I need to do to be a Christian? Do I need to... Be circumcised and baptized and all that in between. 
And as the Jerusalem Council, we talked about last week, as they wrestled with this, the conclusion they came to is this. God has made salvation really simple. God has made salvation really simple. God's not going to give you a Bible test to see what you know. He's not going to check all your works and check how you're doing and this and that and that you're perfect. No. God has made it really simple. And the, the Jerusalem council that we talked about last week, they realized that. And that's one of the main reasons why they said, well, circumcision isn't really all that important because God has made it really simple. Let me try to clarify this a little more. Let's say you've got a son or daughter or someone in your family and they come to you, you know they haven't been going to church for a while and so as they come to you, they say, you know what? I'm sorry, I'm not sure about organized religion. I'm not sure if it's good or not and, and I really wrestle with this Christianity thing and, and I just, I'm not sure if I'm interested at all and then on top of that, you know, I believe in truth and for me, truth comes through science and and I read, you know, the Bible stories, and they just don't make a whole lot of sense compared to science, and so I'm just not sure what to do. Now, as someone, a member of their family, we kind of have a choice. We can go into that conversation and say, well, let me help you figure everything out so that maybe you can follow Jesus. We'll start with Genesis and make sure you understand how God created everything, and and then we'll move to why the flood happened. We'll move to all that stuff, and I'll help you figure everything out. My advice to you is don't do that. Right? I mean, it's okay to have conversations about it all, but if I was to give you the best advice, I think, it would be to say, yeah, that's okay. You can be skeptical about organized church. You can be skeptical about some of the Bible stories, there's, I have no problem with that. Those are kind of side issues. What I'd love to encourage you to do is check out Jesus. Get to know Jesus. You know, maybe read just a gospel or two and listen to his teaching. See what he was about. See how he lived his life and how he died and, and, and sort of how people have wrestled with that over the years. And just check him out. And at the end of checking him out, Maybe just ask the question, is this a fellow worth following? That's what I'd focus on. Because God has made salvation simple. You want to know how to be saved? I'll give you three points. And if I could probably simplify it to one or two, but I'll give you three simple points. First, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. That's called repentance. That means give him your full attention for a while and get to know him. Second one, seek Jesus. Seek Jesus. Begin to explore, have conversations, get to know, uh, check him out. As you begin to do those two things, oftentimes you'll begin to realize, you know what, I need something more to life than what I've got. And it looks like Jesus is offering something I don't have. So turn to Jesus, seek Jesus, and then third, begin trusting in Jesus. Begin trusting in Jesus. 
That third step is called faith. And when you begin to exercise faith, when we do these three basic things, whether you know anything else about the Bible or you have no clue about the Bible, if you'll just start with these three things, what the Jerusalem Council concluded is God who knows our heart sees where we are and says, ah, my grace is making progress in their life. They are ready for a relationship with me. Now, because they're ready, I will give them the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will begin showing up in their life so that they can then continue on following me. And so that's what the church believed. That's what they acknowledged, that when the Holy Spirit shows up, though the Holy Spirit receives us as we are, the Holy Spirit does not leave us as we are. The Holy Spirit then goes to work in our life and begins to transform us from the inside out, transform our lives, transform who we are to be. And so in this transformation, as we begin to have this conversation with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and trying to figure this out because we probably have no idea what we're doing, but that's totally fine. In this adventure, the Holy Spirit begins to do some things. Maybe we have had a really bad temper and we get angry easily or we get bitter easily or we get frustrated easily. And the Holy Spirit begins to move to help us maybe not be quite so easy to get angry. A second thing, maybe the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives and, and used to, we would cuss worse than a sailor. And maybe now we start to notice without even trying that we're just not going, our mind doesn't go that direction quite as quickly, especially about the name of Jesus. Maybe he was a curse word for us before, but now he's not. And so uh, in all areas that maybe we begin to read the Bible and we begin to see God reveal stuff in our life there. And so we begin to say, oh, this is cool. And so all those challenges, all those obstacles, all those things that were like, I'm not sure about organized religion, I'm not sure about the Bible, all of a sudden those things don't seem quite as important or quite as challenging. And we begin to figure things out in a way that makes sense for our life and our faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit helps us progress once we come to Christ and grows us up in the faith. And that's what Paul acknowledges today in chapter 12 of Corinthians. He says, listen, y'all, uh, I know you guys, you once were pagans. And as pagans, you used to go to these little idol guys and you would hope that they would speak to you, but no matter what uh, you tried to listen, they never said anything. And you would try to speak to them. And no matter what you said, it didn't make any difference. Because ultimately, they were nothing but mute idols. But now, he says, you're in a new place. You're a new person. And he says, you can know you're a new person with this little quick test. He says, the first test is, if you see anyone say, Jesus is cursed, then you know that's not from the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, it's not, we're not talking magic words. What he's saying here, like I just said, Jesus is cursed, right? I can say those words. That's not what he's talking about, right? He is talking about someone who says it and means it, and you can tell that they're saying it and meaning it, right? That when they say Jesus is cursed, they mean they don't like Jesus at all. 
And he says, whenever you see someone saying, I don't like Jesus at all, you know that the Holy Spirit is not able to work in their life. But he says, when anyone says Jesus is Lord, and in particular when the person is able to say, Jesus is my Lord, and Jesus is the Lord of the universe, when we can make it personal, Paul says that is evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work with you and with me and with others. And so that's a little test he gives us. He says, listen, if you've come to a place where you can affirm with your heart and life and, and mean it, yes, Jesus is my Lord, and I'm trying to follow him, then the Holy Spirit is present and at work in your life. And so with this, as the Holy Spirit goes to work, he begins to work in our lives in several different ways, and I'm going to try to quickly go through about six, all right? So how the Holy Spirit helps us become, take our place in the body. The first is the Holy Spirit pours God's love into our hearts. And this, Paul writes about this in Romans, I think maybe the fifth or sixth chapter. But the love of God is poured into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the deal that, y'all, oftentimes before we have faith in Jesus, we don't like ourselves much at all. Oftentimes we think, man, I'm pretty rotten. I, I'm not good at anything. I'm not good about anything. You know, we just, we don't like ourselves at all. And so the Holy Spirit begins, once we become gods, the Holy Spirit begins conveying to us, you know what, Chris, I like you. You're pretty cool. Not only do I like you, you know, I, I love you. And that love begins to touch our cold heart that maybe has not experienced a lot of love in our life, and as we begin to be transformed by this love of God, then we're able to begin saying, you know what, maybe I'm okay. Maybe I can love myself, and that's okay. And then once we begin to say, maybe I can love myself, and that's okay, then the next step becomes, oh, if, if God loves me that much, and if I'm starting to be able to love myself, then that fellow over there, I might be able to love them too. And, and there's this guy that, man, six months ago, he burned me bad and hurt me bad. And there's no way I was ever going to forgive him at all. And, but because of the love of God, I think I need to forgive that person too. The love of God begins to transform our life and our relationships in amazing ways. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The second work of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit secondly gives us fruits to, uh, to share with others. Gives us fruits to share with others. Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Right? For the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And Paul says, when the Holy Spirit brings these virtues and these qualities and the, these kind of things into your heart and into your life, you can't help but be the kind of person God wants you to be, and you can't help but be the kind of person that is on God's path keeping his law. Because these fruits of the Spirit begin to grow in us 
and change us from self-centered people and angry people and bitter people and broken people and instead begins to shape our hearts in more loving and peaceful and, and blessing and kind ways for us and for others. And they begin to show so that we begin to become a light for Christ. And then the third thing the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit then offers us gifts of the Spirit. And that's what he talks about here. There are all sorts of variety of gifts, but it's the same Spirit who gives you the gifts. There are all kinds of ways to serve the Lord, but we serve the same Lord whatever we do. There are different kinds of ways that God can work in your life and in different situations and in different people, but it's still the same God is at work. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, listen, everybody's different. Your culture is different. Your family is different. Your gifts is, are different. Your personality is different. All these things are different, but, but God works in all of our lives together when we give him the chance. And so the gifts he gives, he may give you a heart to serve behind the scenes. He may give another person a desire to lead. He may give somebody else a prayer ministry where they just love to intercede for others. And then when they pray for people to be healed or have an open door, things happen. And with others, he may give people a, a, a word of knowledge or a guidance of wisdom or he may give somebody else... Um, an ability to say exactly what God would want to say to the body or to a family or to a person, to have that prophetic gift to be God's heart and voice in someone's life. And so God gives all these things and everybody gets a gift. You've got a gift, at least one gift. Maybe it's generosity, maybe it's something else, but you have a gift. And Paul writes, he gives us these gifts so that to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That is, God gives us gifts so that we can bless each other and so that we can bless the world for his glory. And that's what we're about. The Holy Spirit shows us where we fit in the body and how we use who we are for his glory. No matter what color skin we have, no matter our ethnicity, no matter all the little details, God uses our gifts. Then next, the Holy Spirit guides us in God's way. The Holy Spirit guides us in God's way. As the Holy Spirit works in our heart and life, oftentimes we should find where we start to enjoy encountering the presence of God in this book, the Bible, in the stories and teachings of Jesus, in the letters of Paul, in the Old Testament stories, the prophets, the history. We begin to see our life connect with the life of God's people thousands of years ago and thousands of miles away because God works through all of us together. And he shows us the way to make right choices and right decisions in our circumstances and in the things before us. God, with the Holy Spirit, guides our way. And then um, one last one. Let me make sure I've hit them all. I think I have. Right? God's love poured in our hearts. Our soul bears new fruit. We have new gifts. We begin a new way. We're a part of a new family. 
And then the sixth one is, as we grow in the Holy Spirit, we are called on to recognize one another as the body of Christ. This takes us back to Corinthians 11. And I'm going to read the story that sets up communion with Paul. This is the first recording of the Lord's Supper in Christian history, earlier than the Gospels. And this is what Paul writes. He says in 11.17, In the following directives I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. Now, I want to stop right there just for a second. That sounds a lot like where we are as a church today. God, I'm on this side, and my side has it right. And I like and I'm proud of your approval. And the you know, if you're on the other side, you said, no, but we're on this side, and we have it right, and we're glad that we have your approval. But what Paul reminds us here is that we are to seek God's approval together. So then he says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers, and as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. You don't have homes to eat or drink in. Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I have also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, how he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread or drink the wine from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number have fallen asleep in death. But if you were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it is, may not result in judgment. All right, real quickly. Um, when I read this as a high schooler, it scared me to death, right? Should I go up to communion today or not? Ooh, I make sure I better examine myself because if my life doesn't reflect Jesus enough, I am bringing judgment on myself. Any of you struggle with that? Probably, right? Um, and there's a truth to that. We should, as we come to the table, always be honest with God and say, Lord, I really blew it in this relationship this week, and I could really use the help of your grace there. And, and I stumbled here. I did this there. You know, Lord, 
I mean, we, we need to be honest with God. And this is a holy table. It is Jesus' presence. It is his nourishment. It is death and resurrection for us. Yes, that is very true. But really, it's about being honest with God and where we are and, and that we need his help. But there's this second piece that I didn't catch as a teenager, but over the years I've picked up on. One of the key lines Paul uses here is for those who don't recognize the body of Christ, they will receive judgment on themselves. When he uses that word in the context of what he says at the beginning and in the context of what he says at the end, what he's saying is, is when you come to the table, come together and realize, look around. This is the body of Christ. This is the body of Christ. We are going to have to spend eternity together in heaven. And let me tell you, when you stand before Jesus, none of us are going to get our understanding of Scripture 100% right. Not me, not you, not nobody. I'm going to get to heaven, and I think I'm a pretty good interpreter of Scripture. I'm sure I'm going to get there, and Jesus said, Chris, I love you, but man, you really missed that. I can't believe you taught him that. Right? And that's going to be true of all of us. We don't have it all right. And that's okay. What Paul reminds us of is, look around. These are your brothers and sisters. You will spend eternity with them, whether you agree on every little detail of theology or not. Because if the Holy Spirit is working in them and working in you, that's the evidence. We're together in this. And so recognize the body. I mentioned one, I got one thing to tell you, one story, and then, then we're going to communion. Um, where I've seen this this week is uh, over the last couple of weeks, our leadership board has, has had to make a hard decision. Our finances just aren't as strong as they have been in years past. And so the last couple of weeks, we have asked all our staff to take at least a 5% pay cut, at least some much more than that in order to try to balance the budget. And y'all, we're not really there yet. Um, and so that's a hard thing to do because we love our people and, and you know, they may not be able to go on vacation because of this cut and do the things that they normally do. And that breaks my heart. Um, and so we, we sat down with them, the leadership board and the staff this week. And the thing that came out is y'all, that they would say with us is y'all, it's not about the money. We feel called to do this, but the thing that's hardest for us as a staff, whether it's Jimmy and Teresa who help keep things clean, or whether it's Amy and April who help, help run the office, or whether it's Shane, or, or whether it's Antonio, the thing that came out is, it's just, they said sometimes we just get dumped on. We just get dumped on like we're not human or not important or like we're people's slaves, that they've got to tell us what they want us to do and where to do it and how to do it, and we haven't done it good enough, and so they, it's criticism, it's, it's complaining, it's all this stuff. And they just said, That's, it's just hard to deal with that. And so my word for us today is 
Brothers and sisters, recognize the body of Jesus. Everyone on our staff is a follower of Jesus Christ that I will spend eternity with, and you will too. And they need our love. They need our encouragement. They need our respect. They need us to value them too as a part of the family and not just as someone who works for the church. And it makes a difference. And so when we come to the table, we need to recognize the body of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit helps us begin to do that. I want to close with one example of a of kind of a, a really good example of someone who lived this out in their Christian life. This comes from uh, Dennis Kinlaw. Dennis Kinlaw is one of the great preachers of the 20th century. I'm not sure if he's still alive or not. If he is alive, he's in his 90s. But uh, he tells this story about a young lady, and I don't even know her name. He doesn't share it, but this is how the story goes. One of the greatest witnesses to the faith I ever knew was a lady who decided that her children needed religion, and so she began dropping them off at church every Sunday. As her children learned about Jesus, they began to share with her, and a hunger developed in her heart for Christ. She grew so desperate for him that she overcame her fear of attending church enough to slip into the back of a Sunday school class in absolute terror, afraid that she would be asked a question. But instead of humiliation, she found Jesus Christ. She became an amazing church visitor. There was a radiance about her that would get her, get her into any door. And it was not until several years after I met her did I realize she was not the most beautiful person in the world, but the beauty about her came from her radiant love of the Lord Jesus. This lady developed cancer. She found herself in the hospital and hooked up to all kinds of machines. One day she asked her doctor how long she could live without the machines, and he replied, about a week. Doctor, she said, how long will I live if I say if I stay, keep the machines on, he answered that it would be about six weeks. She said, take me off. I'd rather spend those five weeks with Jesus. Her husband came to visit, and she said to him, I want you to pray with me about when I'm to die. You see, if I die during the night, my night nurse will be distraught because we've become very close. But if I die right around the shift change at 2.45, then the day nurse will be here with her and she'll be able to handle it better. Well, 24 hours later, at 2.45 a.m., she died. She did not know what she was facing, but she knew to whom she was going. Because of that security, her last thought was for the well-being and comfort of someone else. Would it not be wonderful if we lived in such a way that when we're ready to die, we would not be thinking of ourselves, but of other people. This is true freedom, giving to others until the very end. In this short story, this lady is, is someone who had no clue about Jesus, developed a hunger for Jesus, found his Holy Spirit, found her gift, found her calling, lived it out, and even in her dying, the Lord had taught her, the Holy Spirit, how to recognize the body. And the nurse 
across from her. That's the kind of life we're to live. That's the kind of people we're to be. That's the kind of person I hope I am becoming more of. A person who is led by the Spirit to find their place in the family. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, as we come to you today, Lord, um, I, I pray first of all for any here who aren't sure that they know you, Jesus. I pray that they know that coming to you is simple. So help them begin to turn, help them begin to seek, and help them begin to trust. And then may they begin to notice when your spirit shows up, it would be evident enough for them to know that you have loved them and blessed them and made them part of the family. And for the rest of us, help us not stop growing, but Lord, continue to guide us through the Holy Spirit to help us be who you call us to be in this body of Christ at Conyers First and in the body of Christ around the world. We have brothers and sisters everywhere we go. And help us, O oh Lord, as we come to the table, always seek to recognize your presence and the presence of your body among those that we are with right now.